This is Mike C. from North Bend, Washington, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dollamore, unless I'm trying to get to sleep. That shit is fucking boring. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is... I Doubt It with Thalamore. Welcome to the big show, everybody. Episode 671 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by the lovely, talented, and scholarly Brittany Page. So just to kind of clarify. I love clarifications. I, I live for clarifications. We're in <laughs> we're in two different moods right now. Yeah, we are. You're in a happy mood. Love and life. Good times for everybody. Coffee-fueled good times. And I'm in a fatigued mood. Mm-hmm. I feel fatigued. Are you in such a fatigued mood that my... My upbeat nature is going to anger you, aggravate you more, because I'll I'll dial it down a bit. Uh, hmm. Because that's a thing. Sometimes I get, if somebody's a little too much, I'm like, ah, fuck, this is mm-hmm. not going to be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think it's fine. All right. You do you, and I will cope over here <laughs> with whatever's happening over there. What What is happening over there? I don't know. I just the pandemic video. Yeah, goddamn. So what I'm seeing don't constantly bring me down. in my feed. You're fucking bringing me down now. Um, <laughs> I don't, states are reopening. It freaks me out. Um, I I don't know. It's hard for me to put a finger on it. It's it's just general anxiety. Yeah, that is manifesting in a different way. Yeah. And, and when I say states are reopening and it freaks me out, it's, I'm not against that happening at all. I, I think I mean, that eventually it's going to happen. Right, it's just right. whether we do it responsibly. Right. Doing it responsibly is the key. And I guess with California, it freaks me out in particular because there are so many people that are against social distancing and wearing masks and it's like a point of pride for them yeah and like a feature of their personality to <laughs> a feature of their personality be yeah. not following the rules and um disregarding the the guidelines and recommendations from experts so that's kind of what i struggle with as well for me it's not th- with the california situation which we're going to talk about a little bit in dollamocracy but it bothers me also because california is not on the downward trend. We are one of the states that's in the upward trend, and still we they've they've initiated like phase two or whatever. Yeah, I don't know about I don't know about statewide. I only know Orange County, and Orange County is certainly not going down. Well, our our county is one of the problematic counties relative to pushing back against Gavin Newsom. They've made interesting decisions as far as voting to reopen the beaches and, and things like that. And it, it's just, uh, it's a difficult time. <laughs> it continues to be a difficult and weird time. Uh, l- let me say this for me. There's a restaurant in San Clemente County, California. I don't know the name of it. You, 
we've talked about it a couple times mm-hmm. off pod, as they say. Oh God! And uh, they're they've been last weekend they were open. Uh-huh. People are asshole to to, to to belly button in there. Mm-hmm. Cheers in, taking all kinds of pictures, like, we're just living it up. Uh-huh. And the owner was like, well, if people want to come, they want to come, not thinking about the public health aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And then they reopened this week mm-hmm. and interviewed the guy. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, last week was our business, bu- bu- busiest week ever. We sold all of our liquor, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. For me, yeah, I'm not advocating for anybody else to do this, although I'm doing it. I'm going to be, I'm going to have in the back of my mind businesses who didn't act right during this, and they're not getting a fucking penny from me going forward. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we'd ever have an opportunity to be in that restaurant, mm-hmm. but they're they're off limits for me. Because yeah, well, they're not taking into account the safety and security of the community by what they're doing. Yeah, well, in that particular issue where the owner said, listen, if you don't think like we do, then don't come here. But... That's nice for you to say when all of the people that are frequenting your restaurant go back into public spaces after being in close quarters with other people who are flouting the rules. Like, I don't, it it doesn't matter when they go back out into public and then possibly spread COVID. Like, I, and they also bring with them that exact level of disregard for people's safety when they go to the grocery store, when they go to the gas station, when they go other places. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just feeling fatigued. It was a, it's another stressful week and I'm the, the pandemic thing, you know, this, this viral documentary that is, you know, in league with zeitgeist and loose change. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I feel guilty because I saw people posting it and I didn't push back on it. And I, I know that pushing back on it is the right thing to do and it's the responsible thing to do, but I didn't. And it's just exhausting at times. Is it, you didn't because of this general fatigue, general anxiety that is just too much sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I have to wonder, I have to do a trade-off, right? What's the benefit? Am I going to be able to save these people? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. And and so I have to do like a cost-benefit analysis of what is my time worth? What is the suck on my mental health worth? Yeah, yeah. And what's the ultimate payoff going to be? Although I did read an article from Forbes that was like, you have a responsibility to do this, even for a few minutes. Like, you don't need to dedicate a day to it. You don't need to dedicate hours to it. Do it respectfully, say your piece, and maybe someone will read that comment and just, not be persuaded just by leave pandemic. A, just leave a comment. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? Fuck. That's a valid point and for sure. Let, let me let me try to buoy your spirits here, though. Yeah. You did see one of your ding-dong friends from your childhood mm-hmm. post it, and then the very next day mm-hmm. come back and say, hey, listen... Upon further reflection, and this guy's not like some open to new evidence guy, but shockingly, he changed his mind mm-hmm. the very next day. Yeah, acquaintance, uh, an early, uh, childhood acquaintance. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, he's a Facebook friend. Yeah, um, I guess that it's meaningless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was very. It was surprising to see that. But you, as you're pointing out, yeah, very positive. You know, he he posted the pandemic video and talked about you know what everyone was saying when they posted. Oh, this is so interesting and. Uh, they were taken in by the theatrics of it, how well it was produced, right? Which is the goal of, of yeah. those types of 
what am I supposed to call it? It's not a documentary, like a video. What am I supposed to call it? Misinformation. Yeah, uh, a misinformation. Conspiracy video. Yeah. Conspiracy video. So the next day after having. It's a good, it's a good point, though. You don't want to elevate it by calling it a documentary because yeah. it's fucking not. Yeah. Um, but the next day after having like respectful conversations with people on the thread about the video, he. Of which you were not a part, right? Right. Because of the malaise. Right. He talked about. He ta- I'm not shitting on you. I'm just, you know, it's. You were, you were, it was a, a, a troubling thing that happened all of a sudden. That fucking video was everywhere. Yeah. It's remarkable how that happened. But like you said, the next day he came back and he said that he was taken in by it and that he realized like some confirmation bias was at play there and. That those aren't his words. No, he literally <laughs> said that. Really? Yeah. And wow, that yeah. fucking blows me away. So I, I also think it's important, like you're pointing out to me now, not to underestimate people, right, and their ability to change, to change their minds, mm. to come around when new evidence is presented, as long as, and and he highlighted this too, you're not mocked, you're not called stupid, you are not insulted, right, yeah. for having been taken in by something. Because oftentimes that'll cause somebody to dig in their heels. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you want to protect yourself in that moment. Right? I, I'm feeling attacked right now because, you are? That, well, that's my go to is like, you're a fucking moron. What, what is your deal? And that's not helpful, which is why yeah. I don't typically engage in Facebook shit. Well, I mean, the last Facebook comment I left to indict myself here mm-hmm. started with, are you fucking stupid? Because <laughs> it was, it was, uh, uh, I think maybe a listener, I don't know, mm-hmm. but was saying that I didn't want to talk about the Joe Biden stuff because it would help or hurt, do Be- something. Benefit. With, the word was benefit. Yeah, benefit like Bernie or, or, or not Bernie or something. I don't, it didn't make any sense. Yeah. And I started it with, are you fucking stupid? I quote unquote endorsed and voted for Bernie. Right. Anyway, so I'm not good on the Facebook. I get fucking a little. Well, I, listen, everyone, even the most logical, reasonable people are still going to have moments where they go there or they want to go there because a lot of these discussions can become personal, right? I mean, that one that you're referring to right there, I also got involved in. And <laughs> it's always funny when like, grown men who are incapable of like rising to the occasion and actually having like an earnest discussion then start attacking my childhood and trying to like take issue with my personality as though any of those things are relevant to what's happening um so that's always kind of like a personal win for me like i just kind of put that on the on the little belt there (laughs) um but yeah it can be frustrating though to deal with that kind of stuff right where you are being attacked and that's why we're talking about even though we feel tempted to go there, it's it's not the best pl- way to change people's minds. And so if you do get tempted, take a beat, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, if you're going to be like launching insults like stupid, idiot, moron, right? Um, take a beat. Yeah. I, 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 this is instructive for me, too. It, this is a lesson for me that I need to really, really take into account yeah. and not just ignore it. As something that's for somebody else. Because this is for me. Yeah. This is for me. Well, also, I think I, I've i used words like that's ignorant or this is confusing. I'm, I'm picking up on word salad here. And I don't consider those insults, but people generally don't react well to those things. Yeah. So I've needed to kind of take a personal inventory there and be like, okay, 
how can I maybe phrase these these things differently in the future? Are so, you are you saying that someone when you use the word ignorant, they get angry because they're ignorant about the definition of the word ignorant? How well, strange. Well, things happen. And <laughs> I mean, listen, we, we also try and we fall prey to the same biases that everyone else does. Speak for yourself. I'm a superhero. Yes. And <laughs> uh, but, but we try really hard to, when presented with new evidence, change our minds. I think you recently had... An encounter with this, an encounter, an encounter with changing your mind when uh, are, you learned new information. Are you talking about the guy? F- f- I always call him Fieri, but Fieri, I think, is how he pronounces his name. Oh, really? The guy, the the diners, diners, drivings and dives, everybody. Yeah, that, that guy. Yeah. yeah, that happened last night. Well, he's notoriously maligned in like food communities. I guess the only place that guy is not maligned is one specific geographic region, and it's Flavortown. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Oh, I am extra proud of that right there. So, uh, people mock him, though, right? His, like, appearance, his general attitude toward things, his personality. There's some justification in there to make fun a little little fun. But, look, he does himself up in a way that opens himself up to ridicule in that way, or making fun, having a a little jest, a little poke, a little... Elbow, elbow, little rib, rib. Yeah, I'm sure dick faces can find anything to make fun of someone about. All right. But. I really feel attacked right now. You (laughs) recently. So what was it? What was your initial impression of him or what have you believed about him and what changed? The the reason I have I have hated him and written him off. Hated him. Oh, yeah. Is because years ago I read an article Uh and didn't test the veracity of it. Mm, that's that's the first problem. For sure. This is good. This is good For learning. Sure. Yeah. And uh, it was a, that a production assistant had leveled these accusations that he would like freak out on set, wouldn't want to be in on a scene in a scene with someone like a restaurant owner or or a, or an employee huh. on diners, drives, dive, drivings, dives, if they were gay. Oh. That he was like virulently anti-gay. Mm. And. You know what? Am I supposed to like? Oh, fucking! I love that guy. No, I fucking hated him for it. So it was an accusation from a former production assistant. That is right. That it, was written in an article. Yeah, right. Okay. So I didn't. I just took it at face value, like a goddamn moron. And then yesterday, I was reading mm-hmm. that not only, well, you know, having a gay relative isn't necessarily the. It's not like, oh, well, he can't be anti-gay because he's got a gay a sister. But it's that all of that was a lie. He actually, like, oversaw what's officiated, like, uh, a mass wedding of a bunch of, of gays and lesbians. Like, a hundred people or something. A hundred and one weddings people. in Miami. And there was actually a very deliberate choice I found out for why the number was 101. Can I just interrupt yeah, you really Yeah, quick? I don't know the details. Um, so, this, this whole thing where he married 101 couples... It was organized by a celebrity chef named Art Smith, and he said that 101 was selected um, to illustrate 101 Dalmatians, the 101 Dalmatians villain, Cruella DeVille, and they were likening uh, Pam Bondi. You know, because oh, it was in Florida, right? The, the Flor- wedding. Florida Attorney General uh, and also, Pam Bondi, also on Donald Trump's uh, impeachment defense team. Yes. So that is the connection there. Huh. The reason for that number, just to further kind of reinforce your your perspective here. Yeah. And then uh, he's also done a bunch of stuff like behind the scenes to raise 
tens of millions of dollars for like restaurant employees. Anyway, so I was completely fucking wrong about this guy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I was like public about it or anything, but I'm, I'm wrong. And I want to, I, I want to change what I'm fucking thinking. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm kind of a little warm and fuzzy about that, you know, bleached haired weirdo. Now, yeah. well, and referring specifically to the most recent story, he raised more than twenty million for restaurant workers who have lost their jobs due to coronavirus, and he announced that the Restaurant Employee Relief Fund, which he started in partnership with the National Restaurant Association Educational Foundation, is oh, award- a lot. <laughs> yeah. You can't have a shorter name. Come on, <laughs> is awarding ten thousand new grants to restaurant workers. Uh, it's approved forty thousand grants in total since launching last month. So. He appears to be a person who is passionate about doing good in the world. And I appreciate that you took that time, right, to really grapple with it. Because you said for years you have felt this way, right? So what I did, it it was last night I was reading about him being a good guy. And I'm like, this doesn't jive with what I've thought. So I went back and found the original article. And then there were several subsequent articles that were written that called bullshit and directed why it was bullshit. Hmm. So I'm not going to sit with bad fucking... Well, one, I don't want to not like somebody. Yeah. It's not like he was the CEO of Applebee's. I mean, come on, Brittany. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, I don't want to have all this, this... you know, disdain for somebody when it's unjustified. Yeah. So I'm fucking, I'm, uh, I'm not necessarily, you know, a resident of Flavortown now, but yeah, but I like the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm okay with the, the guy Fietti. Well, it, and it's good to, to do that, right? To realize, oh shit, I read this article years ago. It has informed my terrible thinking for years. And it's tough to do that process, right? Like, who yeah. knows how many people you have told? About Guy Fieri and his positions being anti-gay, right? I mean, who knows? That bums me out because I I would hope, maybe this is just arrogance on my part, but I would hope that when I tell someone a story about something, they're like, oh, that's coming from Jesse. It's got to be right. He's not going to tell me some bullshit. Well, in this case, that's very unfortunate. (laughs) Absolutely. Like I said, it it bums me out. Yeah, but that's why we always talk about the efforts made to ensure that the things that we're talking about are evidence-based. Yes. And it can be tough to do that. And even we are going to fail. <laughs> yeah. So just be aware of that, that we're not perfect oh, on that issue either. Speaking of that, there's another one that we were wrong on something. It was me talking about Kristen Powers mm-hmm. uh, a couple episodes ago, maybe last episode, mm-hmm. where I said she was an advocate for pro-life policies. Yeah. And I was wrong. Mm-hmm. You panicked and looked it up because you were unsure of it. And you're the fact checker. You're, you hold that role. I'm, you know, less <laughs> committed to it's that. It's a lot of stress for me, you guys. And, uh, and I was wrong. She is pers- she's one of those that's, I'm personally pro-life. Right. But she would, she wouldn't put that choice on anybody else. Right. She supports pro-choice policies. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But she did like find Jesus late in life and she's like, uh, pretty active in, She's a resident of Jesus Town. I, I I knew that part. I knew that part. But yeah. you are right that I started sweating and uh, shaking and Googled it. But we had already moved on. So yeah, I well, but I remembered that. Uh, anyway, we love you guys. Thank you for joining us. Um, oh, but let's also ask for listener participation on that because I'd be curious to know uh, something that 
people have changed their minds about recently. That's always a good exercise to do. Right? Well, it's it's the question we when when we used to do bonus episodes with interviews <laughs> before the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, we uh we would that would be the final question we would ask is yeah. what's the most recent thing you change your mind about? Yeah, so let's ask it of the listeners 657-464-7609. Or you can send a fewer than three minute voice memo to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Let's get to some people who have used the voicemail line. And these are both about the Biden topic that we covered last episode for over, by the way, over two hours. Holy shit. Uh, I had to stop what I was doing and make this message. To the people that, like, uh, I think her name was Betty and maybe Tim, who were contemplating just not voting at all. Um, I, I, and I'm sure you guys have said this before, but I thought I'd reiterate um, the, the trolley experiment. So, you know, we're, we're all standing on a track by a switch. And the train's coming down the track, regardless of what we want to think about it. Um, if we do nothing at all, it kills 20 people. Pull the switch, it kills 10, right? The whole trolley experiment thing. And I, I just, I, I feel like I need to call because this is what happened in 2016. You know, a certain amount of people did not pull the switch. Here we are with 60 some odd thousand people dead. Uh, who knows how many of them could have been saved had we pulled the switch. So again, pull the switch on the track. Let's try it. Jesse, I believe you referred to this during the last episode where you talked about like the utilitarian approach to this question and uh, the caller is exactly right bringing up the trolley problem. I've seen so many hilarious variations of the trolley problem lately on social media. It's like become a new meme, the trolley problem. Meme form, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, like (laughs) you you can pull the lever, but corporations are going to go out of business. Yeah, yeah. So are you going to choose to kill these people or kill corporations? Well, I think people get swept away by the by the the fancy turn of phrase or like some clever wordplay with, well, I'm if you vote for the lesser of two evils, you're still voting for evil. You know, people like, oh, well, that kind of makes sense to me. And yeah, but you know what? One of the evils is is not going to ruin the lives of of children. Isn't going to take away abortion rights for women. Isn't going to uh, strip away gay gay rights. Isn't going to um, damage actively the intrinsic human value of trans people in America. I mean, get the fuck out of here. It's just not. Anyway, I do want to push back on one thing um, that he said. Didn't leave his name. Is he said sixty some thousand dead? As I'm speaking the words right now, it's seventy eight thousand three hundred twenty dead in america because of coronavirus so uh, yes this could have been certainly the damage done and the gravity of of the this pandemic and the effect that it had in america could have been different it could have been fewer mm-hmm. than the number it is now yeah well and going back to the the trolley problem the cra- the classic moral dilemma there is that the runaway trolley is heading toward five railway workers but you are standing next to a switch, yeah, which gives you the option to divert the trolley to where there's only one worker 
right? Yeah, there's a fork in the tracks, mm-hmm. and you're at the switch, and you ch- it's it's heading toward the five people. Mm-hmm. If you switch the switch, it goes off to the other fork and kills one person. Mm-hmm. And killing someone is evil. <laughs> but what are you going to do? You let five people die because of your inaction when you're the only one? And obviously, it's a philosophical thought experiment. But that's what we're at. This is the ultimate fucking trolley problem here. Um, there actually was a YouTube channel. What is that guy's name? I'm trying to find it. Vsauce. Vsauce. Yeah. Where he, he, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I think it's called Mindfield. Like not Mindfield, but Mindfield is the, the show that they did. Is that what you're talking about? Where they did the, the trolley, where they put someone in a fucking box, a simulated, they thought they were actually doing a trolley problem thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, the, Pretty awesome. Yeah, so that is what I was going to say when you were talking about how it's just a thought experiment, just a moral dilemma for philosophical discussions. Well, he, Vsauce on YouTube, actually makes it a real problem. Michael. I don't know his last name. He always starts videos with, hey, Vsauce, Michael here. And if you haven't watched that, I'm I'm clicking on it right now. I believe it is called The Greater Good. And mm. you said his show is Minefield on YouTube. And it's called The Greater Good, this particular episode. If you are at all interested... It is worth watching. ...in what's happening as we're talking about the trolley problem right now, it is very much worth a watch. Yeah. It's intense. And listen, as far as... I understand people's frustration with, with the position that Betty took and that Tim- Timothy took... Uh, it, it is, uh, these are r- real difficult decisions that we're going to be faced with. I would, my, my only thing is I'm struggling with right now is I don't want to demonize people because people are like, you, you're not going to shame me into changing my vote or blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm just trying to, to raise issues in a way that they're not thinking about them. Yeah, because look, your people's vote is sacred. It is a it is a precious thing. Why are you smiling at me? Well, because I'm thinking of TJ in North Carolina right now and <laughs> how he must be feeling hearing you talk about this. Because I shame him on the Patreon calls. You shamed him <laughs> about his decisions in i believe 2016 maybe so yeah yeah and so i i'm just you know sometimes i like to put myself in the shoes of other people when i I hear things i'm a i'm a i'm a i'm a man in (laughs) flux i'm 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 an ever-evolving creature Brittany page yeah i'm sure tj loves it and i didn't say i'm i I said this is something i struggle with because i'm trying to yeah because it's easy to say no fuck you do what i'm doing because it's the best thing to do uh, but that's not the right approach. Well, and it's it's easier to do that when you're speaking to TJ. So don't... Well, of course. Yeah. Of course. There's just something about him. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we love TJ. Speak for yourself. No, oh, okay. All right, moving on. Hola, persons. John from Pennsylvania here. Just wanted to put in my two cents uh, about episode 670, uh, about uh, the whole Joe Biden affair. Uh, we're doing all the uh, appealing to the heartstrings and the existential harm that Trump will do and all of that, and I'm with you on that. And by God, I stepped right up to the plate last time around in 2016 and put on my big boy panties and went to the polls and voted for the corporatist candidate that the DNC decided to jam down my throat that time, too, despite the fact that I voted for Bernie in the primaries. But it didn't matter. Trump still won. And, 
the Republicans have shown themselves to be quite capable of cheating and suppressing the vote. So because of the blessed electoral system, the states are kind of already decided. So he's got to start campaigning or doing something, which he's not doing right now and hasn't been doing up until now. So we're all still waiting, quite frankly. Trump's the only one doing anything, let's face it. Biden's just kind of hanging out and bleeding out one eye. So I don't know what you're going to do, guys. I don't want him to win as much as anyone else does, but my heart of hearts, I don't know, dudes. I don't know if it's going to happen. I think we're all just going to have to just uh, get ready to settle in for four more years of Trump. I hate to be a doomsayer, and I hope I'm wrong. God, I hope I'm wrong. But uh, I'm afraid it might just be the case. Anywho, uh, the dynamic between you two is the best part. And the dog, of course. But have a wonderful being a long-time listener to the show. Bye-bye. So... He likes the barks yeah, during the middle of the show. Yeah, I'm more concerned about the substance or lack thereof of the call. Oh. What is the message there? I mean, he's, you know, they're trying to pull on our heartstrings. No, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to pull on anybody's heartstrings. I'm trying to talk about real ramifications that will come to pass, that will absolutely come to pass if Donald Trump is reelected. Because what do you think Donald Trump will be capable of? In a second term where he doesn't have to worry about being reelected to office. There will be no incentive to not be in a complete and utter dictatorial totalitarian fucking presence in America. There will be polling will not matter. He clearly isn't worried about his legacy. So it's not trying to pull at your heartstrings. And the other thing is, what are what are you guys going to do? What are you going to do, John? You have neighbors. You have family. You can convince them of things. You're an articulate individual. There's still time, too. Of course. And look, it's, do, it's do, May. I, do I think that Joe Biden is our can is the good? Oh, God has graced us with the most wonderful. No, fuck, of course not. Do I think he's he's doing the right thing by hunkering down? In his house in, in Wilmington, Delaware? Fuck no. But we got what we got, man. And until he chooses to drop out or whatever the fuck is not going to happen, he's what we got. He's our only hope against Donald Trump. Well, and that's why those those conversations about the existential threat that does exist are most useful, most convincing when you're talking about people who are thinking of sitting on the sidelines for this one, sitting it out, right? Uh, people who who can otherwise be convinced, yeah, right, but who just need the push to get there. I think that saying in May it, it, that that it's what's done is done, yeah, is. I don't know, irresponsible. Well, also, also this, and look, I don't want to, you know, stretch open John's mouth and take a big runny dump into it, but here I go. Uh oh. Um, saying that, well, that's what they told us last time, and Trump still won, so harumph. Come on, man. You lose, a, you, you lose a battle, but you continue to fight the war. You continue to press on. 
or or you you give up and fuck it. We're, we're just now we're a we're a fascist regime well, forever. I, and I also want to say maybe this call was made when he wasn't feeling super great or positive. He was in a Britney Page mood, right? Maybe there was some malaise there. Okay, and this is not generally how that's true. he sees the situation. Right? That's true. What's the what's the saying? You never know when someone what they're going through in any given moment. Yeah, and, and so oh, I, you're right. I also think I think this was a useful jumping off point to to speak to people who feel the way that he does, right? Because many people feel the way that he does. Yeah, and I appreciate the call for that reason. I, and I apologize for coming off as a cock. <laughs> I think it was expected. It just, you know, water rolls downhill. That's the the easy. That's the path of least resistance for me. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it was expected. So sorry, John. I didn't mean to jump all over your shit. I think we have an email. Uh, moving on. We do. I went back and forth on writing the email, but ultimately decided that I should. And I apologize if this is long. My son was accused by a girl at the beginning of his senior year, not of sexual assault, but of something that required the police to search my house, speak to all his teachers, and could have ruined his life. It was found that the girl lied. Not that the allegations could be proven, but she lied. No part of her story held up. She wasted police time. She was trying to help her boyfriend and sadly succeeded as there was short-term cost to my son. There were no consequences for this woman. Why? Because the schools want students to feel free to come forward with concerns. I am a woman, a wife, and a mother, but I know women can and do lie. So I cannot meet anyone at Believe All Women if it means that an accusation is enough. I agree that allegations against Joe Biden are potentially serious, but I do also wonder, would this not have come up during vetting for VP? Lots of victims have to socialize and be nice to their assailant because they are personally attached to them or professional so. I know a number of survivors and none of them would tweet or heap unsolicited praises on their assailant. I also worry that if we allow that the potential victim can change dates, times, location, and every other details as the story evolves or is finally fully spoken during or is finally fully spoken, depending on your point of view, how can anyone defend themselves? What standards should be used with accusations that can never be proven one way or the other? The school and the school resource officer were perfectly content that innocent students might be adversely affected as long as they had a chance to get the dangerous ones, if that school ever has any actually dangerous students. I will never agree that punishing the innocent is a valid price to pay for ensuring we punish the guilty. I agree that the Democrats are being hypocrites. Women need to be believed to the point that an accusation is investigated. From this, we need to find balance and standard that is the same for people we like and people we loathe. Laura. Wow. I scrambled writing notes there. Um can I go first? Yeah, please. So there was a line here that particularly stood out to me, and it is this one. I know a number of survivors, and none of them would tweet or heap unsolicited praises on their assailant. Yeah, I wrote that down. I, I'm. I want to really caution people who have the tendency to do this, and we all have the tendency to do this, which is generalizing our own personal experiences to the population, to other people, right? Because Laura n doesn't know anyone who would do that who has had the same experiences, that means to her that it couldn't happen. Yeah. 
Now, this is the problem that we see in in so many areas of life, right? White people's inability to see what people of color are telling them about their interactions with the police. Because I haven't experienced that. Yeah. I haven't seen that anywhere. I get treated with the utmost respect when I get pulled over. That doesn't happen to me, right? And we need to be very careful about doing this. It's not a valid way to argue, right? By saying that we couldn't see it because it hasn't happened to us. Harvey Weinstein is sitting in a fucking jail cell right now, and his defense used that defense that these women oftentimes asked him for favors after he fucking raped them. Right. That doesn't seem right. I mean, that that's what the defense was saying. Well, and it's confusing for a lot of people, right? That they could experience a trauma and then still have conflicting emotions for, for that sure. person. But, right? but think about battered wives all over the country who get beat and almost murdered by their husbands. And then when it goes to court, defend him and no, no, he, we're going to make this work. And that, that doesn't make any sense to me in my head, but it happens. So I know it's a thing. Right. So I, I just want to be very cautious when people make those points that we need to like, stop doing that. Also, let me say this about the believe all women thing. As a phrase, I've never agreed with believe all women. I think that certainly all allegations should be taken seriously. They should be vetted. But we've never been believe all women, no matter what. No, you, we're adults. We, this is what we've said all along. We are all adults. We can weigh the accusations. We can weigh the evidence as it is and make decisions based on that. That That's, we're not believe all women as a phrase. Well, and I, I think we talked about this last time, too. I just want to clarify again that prominent feminists have come out and discussed yeah. this phrase as though conservatives have been talking about the phrase as though it literally means when an accusation is made, believe yeah. it regardless of evidence and move forward and ruining somebody's well, listen, life. That's why when you come up with a catchy little phrase for t- Twitter... Words have meaning. They have weight. They have importance. That's why you need to pick a better phrase than, because believe all women, when you hear those words, it means believe all women. They yeah. need they need to be smarter and looking forward if they want something specific. I'm sorry. I'm rant- ranting. So here. I'm, I'm just trying to clarify because I think there's a lot of frustration when people hear this conversation that bad actors... Uh, with bad faith arguments are trying to um, take down what largely was a positive movement in the Me Too movement by trying to highlight this issue as something it wasn't. Yeah. Now, is there a slight minority of people that take that phrase to mean literally, if an accusation yeah. is made, believe it without evidence? Sure. I've seen them on Twitter. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, I follow one on tw- the lar- Twitter. <laughs> the large majority of, of prominent feminist thinkers use that phrase to say, listen, women have historically not been believed. Give credence to these accusations. Open an investigation. Yeah. Take them seriously because historically they have not been. There, there's one other element here that I want to take issue with with Laura. And then I want to end, end it with a, the thing that really stuck with me that, yeah, fuck, that's a great point. Uh, first is the, these accusations can't be proven one way or the other. Well, you know what? Just about every single one of the, the accusations against Donald Trump can't be proven one way or the other, but we still believe them. Do we not? So I, I just think that the rules shouldn't be different for Joe Biden than they are for Donald Trump. 
obviously the track record of Joe Biden should be taken into account that there haven't been dozens of accusations leveled against him about this serious, serious issue. Yeah, we should, we should think about that. But just to say that they can't be proven one way or the other, therefore we shouldn't believe it. That's to me, that's nonsense. Well, I also with the, with the changing details, that is also something that is normal about memory. Yeah. Right. About trying to remember details accurately. And there's going to be probably some movement sometimes when, when victims are trying to tell their stories, right? There's different things that can play a role in this. I, I think one of the most important TV shows that has, has been created in, in recent years is unbelievable on Netflix. And yeah. it's actually based on real reporting from ProPublica, I believe. Get past, listen, if you're going to watch it, the first episode is brutal to watch. The whole show on its face is awesome. Mm-hmm. Get If you can get, get past the first episode. Mm-hmm. Seriously, it is an important show to watch. And also know that it's based on real reporting that I would, I would recommend everybody go read. This American Life also did an, an episode about it. That's a great episode to listen to. There are useful lessons. And one of the useful lessons in that show is that the ways in which people in power approach people who have experienced trauma has a profound impact on how they respond to things like being questioned by the police. Also, how people see people being treated after they make an accusation informs how they will react if indeed they are assaulted. Right. So there's many good uh, lessons that it's such a it's such a powerful show. But like Jesse said, it's the first episode's pretty difficult to get through. So just just be aware that if you have traumatic experiences, that it could be particularly difficult for you. Let me let me say one more thing about that's not necessarily related to Laura's call. But that is look, there are lots of things that bother me that make me second guess a terror read story story. And, And that is. Uh, first of all, why, when all of, of mainstream normal media asked her to, to do an interview, she turned them all down and went to Megyn Kelly, who doesn't even have a platform. She went to a Fox News adjacent person. Th- th- these issues do bother me. But you know what? Bill Clinton has been credibly accused of rape by Juanita Broderick, who's now a Trump maniac. That doesn't mean... Bill Clinton didn't rape her because all the contemporaneous reporting, all of the contemporaneous details from that time point to, and there are the guy who did uh, slow burn covered this. Listen to the, listen to the Clinton impeachment thing on, on slow burn, the podcast. And it's hard to walk away from that. Not thinking Bill Clinton did indeed rape Juanita Broderick. Anyway, uh, what I wanted to say. That, well, I that, also want to say because you please. said you said Tara Reid went to a Fox News, a former Fox News personality. She was actually scheduled to do an interview on Fox News Sunday with Chris Wallace uh, a week ago, and she canceled with Chris Wallace. Yeah. So I'm not sure that like the Fox News connection is no, 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 super. No. I'm just saying if she wants this to be taken seriously and re- wants the audience, why does she turn down? Every major news network, CNN, ABC, CBS, MSNBC, and then goes to Megyn Kelly. I just, that to me, and it doesn't, it's not to speak to whether or not Joe Biden did it, but it is like, what's in her head? What's going on? 
These are all things to take into consideration, not necessarily of whether it happened or not. But the thing I want to talk about, was that good? I mean, did that, I don't want to step on what your point was. No, yeah, I don't think that you did. Um, is the vetting for VP thing. Th- this is something that sticks with me. And I always get brought back to, yeah, but her mom did call in to Larry King. That's a, how do you get around that? But Joe Biden was excruciatingly vetted by Obama's people when chosen to be VP to see whether he was going to cut the mustard, if he was going to make it because of something in his past. They do a deep, deep dive when they pick. Now, we have become accustomed with Donald Trump and his administration not doing decent vetting or any vetting, whereas we've gotten Brett Kavanaugh and all these other donkeys who plagiarize or whatever. But normally, that is the way it works, that they do a really intense dive, and they would have searched the records of the Senate and all of this. And if something had come up, they would have gone a different direction. So that holds a little weight for me. It does. I I still am in the believing camp right now, but there are elements that give me pause. I mean, I sure, I think a lot of that is valid. I also think that it's not a perfect system. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, how many people get into positions of power and then are taken out of those positions because of things that then come out at a later time. Listen, um, I, I'm I'm struggling with it. Yeah. I, I am. I, I want to consider everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not, I'm decided. I'm leaning toward believing right now. I believe, given everything right now, I'm I'm a believer. Well, and that's why, that's why we talk about this in terms of probabilities, right? And we're not, yeah. we're not here talking about being certain and if you hear people talk about how certain they are about something related to this issue you should probably not be paying them to (laughs) give you that (laughs) advice give you that information yeah you should probably not be supporting that person because there's there's no way for anyone to know the the two people that know the truth right now yeah are tara reed and joe biden those are the two people that know the truth yeah so Think about that. Yeah. Laura, thank you for the voicemail or the, the email. We appreciate it very much. Listen, calling into the show is a conversation. Now, it might be a little bit one way, one way, because we're not having it in real time. But we appreciate you guys sounding off, getting your voice on the record, getting your opinions on the record through email. Uh, we would encourage you to do though, do so. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email those voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. We would like to thank Dan. Dan. Dan is our latest Patreon supporter. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your support, Dan. We really appreciate it. We appreciate each and every one of our Patreon supporters. You help keep the show going. We also appreciate the PayPal donations that we receive and even the people who shop on Amazon to increase the size of jeff bezos's pockets <laughs> yes does he have bigger pockets than normal 
Like he just walks around. He has custom made pants to fit all of that money. That's what I would assume. Is that not how it works? They would have to be really big pockets. Yeah, I think they're 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 bigger than most. They're bigger than most. And what's what's nice is he has the money to do that. Yeah, of course. So yeah. it doesn't really set him back much to have extra pockets. Does not. <laughs> Uh, we also appreciate each listener who has taken the time to rate and review us on whatever podcatcher you happen to enjoy and use yes. to listen to the show. Make sure if you are doing that on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever, that you don't wow. use profanity in your review. That's right. Because they will not post it. Uh, can, can I can I make an ask? Yeah. This week, it would be fantastic. We have people, everybody's stuck at home in quarantine, safer at home, stay-at-home orders. Podcaster, you know, there's a lot of time for the podcast. I would ask that you turn a friend or a relative or someone that you know onto the show and see if uh, we're their flavor. We're certainly not everybody's flavor. Fair, Fair enough. I'm certainly not for everybody. Fair enough. But... That would be a, a nice uh, a nice way to support the program. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. All right. Well, let's let's talk about where we are right now in the world of COVID nineteen. The cases are are continuing to to spike higher and it is having a very real world effect on our economy and millions and millions tens of millions in fact in America have lost their jobs because of it the breaking news at this hour the worst jobs report in American history is in let's go straight to CNN chief business correspondent Christine no- Romans who has those breaking details and the numbers Christine 20 and a half million jobs lost in the month of April that is a record-setting month in terms of the American labor market 14.7 percent is the official unemployment rate here uh, these are depression level numbers in 1940 uh, you saw the unemployment rate at 14.6 percent so this t- takes us back all the way back to those terrible days of the uh, of the Great Recession when you saw for a whole year 14.6 percent unemployment uh, back then. Um, these are the kinds of numbers that you would expect when you send everybody home to fight the coronavirus. So we have put the economy on purpose into a big recession. Every one of these jobs here, just um, a tragedy. Uh, it really is. Um, and, and as we go through these, we're going to bring in as well CNN anchor and correspondent Julia Chatterley, CNN White House correspondent John Harwood. As we're looking at these numbers, Julia, um, the this is just years upon years of job growth that has been obliterated in the blink of an eye. It absolutely is. We've gone from a 50-year low in unemployment to a 70- to 80-year high. This report says, look, we, we literally don't have a comparison in the data that we've collected here, and we've done it in the space of two months. I'm, I'm just looking now through some of the figures that we're seeing in terms of what kind of metrics of jobs that have been lost, and just to break it down in terms of demographics, we've now got 32% of teenagers unemployed, a 16.7% unemployment rate for black people in this country, 
just under 19% for Hispanics. We know that what we saw in the last month and what we've seen in this month as well is the lowest earners seeing their wages lost, the restaurant, the hospitality, the leisure industry in particular. The one thing that I think I would point out of these numbers just as I'm looking through them is that they're talking about a tenfold increase in April in temporary job losses. And that brings me back to the idea of how quickly we can add these jobs back. What we don't want to see is the temporary turn into permanent. And this kind of rise, as painful as it is in temporary, at least means perhaps we can add those back quickly. And that is the hope, right, that they come back. But all of that, of course, is tied to how the country reopens. It's tied to the confidence that people have right. to go out and support these businesses. And of course, John Harwood, this is the big debate within the White House as states are waiting for some of that guidance to figure out how to do it safely so more people can go to work and more people have a paycheck to then support other businesses. Now, listen, this metric of confidence is something, this element of confidence is something that we really need to take seriously. And I think the administration is fucked on this. Because what's going to happen here in many cases across the country is they're going to rush to reopen. And listen, let it be said first and foremost that, look, we're, eventually we're going to have to reopen. It is going to have to happen. We can't in perpetuity be locked down in our houses. But we have to do it smartly, intelligently, with, with an eye on the data, with an eye on how the trends are moving. Because if we open too early and then there's a spike and then you have to shut down again, it, 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 it dampens people's confidence in one, the government, but also just in general in the economy and about getting out there. Because right now, I can't see myself going out to dinner. I have no confidence that I am safe if I go out to dinner or I go to a movie. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So this, this element of confidence is a big, big deal. But these numbers are stark. The highest unemployment rate since 1940. That's unbelievable. And still, we have states that are pushing forward because they're so afraid of that economic metric that they're going to open, including right here in California. Two more states trying to get back to business as the number of COVID-19 cases are still on the rise in some parts of the country. California is one of the 44 states easing restrictions, and that's where we find Matt Gutman this morning. Matt, good morning. Hey, good morning, Amy. Those 44 states you mentioned, that means nearly 300 million Americans are taking baby steps back to normal. And for businesses like L.A.'s flower market, it is absolutely critical to open for business ahead of the Mother's Day bonanza in order to stay in business. This morning, with those gates going up and foot traffic going in, the nation's so-called soft open. As of today, 44 states are using at least some COVID restrictions. And starting this morning, California now calling on low-risk retailers to offer hands-free purchasing options through curbside pickup. The governor revealing the first known case of COVID in the state happened in a salon. This whole thing started in the state of California, the first community spread in a nail salon. And I'm very worried about that. And many of these salons with people that had procedure masks on uh, were using gloves uh, and were uh, advancing higher levels of sanitation. And starting tomorrow in Nevada, where COVID has ravaged the tourism industry, you'll be allowed to dine at a restaurant at 
50% capacity, excluding casinos. And in Indiana, places of worship opening doors today ahead of weekend services. In Texas, personal services like salons and barbershops opening today. But Texas is one of nearly 20 states, most of them in the center of the country, that are opening while COVID cases and deaths continue to climb. Rebecca Duane's husband works at a meat plant in Corpus Christi, which remains open because food plants have been declared critical infrastructure. It's scary seeing my husband like that, and he's always like this tough, you know, I'm fine, I'm okay. No, this is not okay. People are not taking it serious. He was diagnosed positive on Monday. Now, public health officials concede that opening up will likely mean higher cases in some places. But they say that most states are going through this cost-benefit analysis because staying closed also has a cascade of dangers, including joblessness, addiction, and even a rise in suicide rates. George. So I want to speak to all of that by quoting from an article in The Atlantic. It's entitled, It's the Pandemic, Stupid. With the subtitle, the shutdowns aren't what's driving the worst unemployment crisis since the Great Depression, which is quite the thesis, right? It's written by Derek Thompson. And in it, he talks about how almost half the job losses in April occurred in leisure and hospitality industries where small businesses are obviously overrepresented, right? And so this is hitting restaurants, stores, small businesses generally the hardest. And before I quote the most important paragraph from this article, I actually want to kind of jump to the fact that between 12,000 and 13,000 of the 17,000 Catholic churches in the United States applied for federal funding through the Paycheck Protection Program. Mm. And... There are estimates that around 6,000 Catholic parishes had their applications for federal funding approved in the first round of PPP. 6,000 Catholic churches cashed in on the Paycheck Protection Program. And around 3,000 have received loans so far in the second round. So they are a business. They should be taxed. And not running amok tax-free in our fucking country. Well, so I'm reading from a CBS article here, and his name is Pat Markey, who's who's quoted in here. He's the executive director of the... Now, I'm confused about how to say this word. I know it's diocese, but it's diocesan? Di- I don't know. I'm not Catholic. Didn't... <laughs> diocesan sounds right. Okay. Fiscal Management Conference. He's the executive director of the... Diocesan <laughs> Fiscal Management <laughs> Conference. Um, difficult to read, everybody. So he's quoted in this article saying, when you're talking about the breadth and scope of it, it's a fraction. A small church on the corner is like a small business in the sense that we're employing people. And this whole part of the law is about keeping people employed. We can't go to Wall Street and sell stock the way a corporation can. We don't have access to funds that publicly held companies have. If all the churches, synagogues, and mosques in the United States took advantage of this, you wouldn't even get to $3 billion. That's a lot of money, but it's only a fraction of the total PPP amount. Now, what's interesting about this is he's he's saying a small church on the corner is like a small business. He's saying that. Yeah, right. Right? And he's saying we can't go to Wall Street and sell stock the way a corporation can. Yeah, but you don't pay taxes like a corporation does. Zero taxes. So you're talking about, well, we don't have the benefits of a corporation. Well, you have the benefits of a church. Yeah, that's right. To not be paying taxes. That is exactly right. 
So, I mean, as I was reading this, I was feeling conflicted because I understand that they are employing people, that they want to keep those people paid. But to talk about benefits that corporations are afforded that you're not without recognizing the benefits that you are afforded as what you are. Also, the Catholic Church, your local corner Catholic Church is a part of a larger organization that one is its own country. The Vatican is its own fucking country. It's one of the wealthiest organizations relative to churches on the planet. Maybe the wealthiest. You don't need to be leeching off the goddamn U.S. taxpayers more than you already are by not paying taxes. I mean, it would be like reading an article about the Mormon church applying for funds, too. They're flush with cash. Flush with a tenth of a trillion dollars. Yeah. So I want to go back to. So Sorry, we're kind of jumping around, but this all fits with the same picture, right? Of small businesses not getting the assistance that they need. The government looking for solutions in the wrong places, not doing enough to help people that are out of work. And this is what Derek Thompson says in this article, quote, the White House and most Republicans seem to think that this crisis will be solved by loudly announcing the reopening of the economy. But this is a dangerous misunderstanding of what's actually driving the recession. It's the pandemic, stupid. The shutdowns themselves had, quote, little or no impact on economic activity, according to an analysis by a team of economists at Harvard. Several papers now show that the decline in spending and employment in most cases occurred before states officially shut down their economy. Governments didn't close state economies on their own, and they can't open the economies on their own either. Now, this is referring to the participation of the public in this, right? right? Now, even before he's referring to even before governments shut down the economies, people stopped going out because they were already afraid. They stopped flying on airplanes. Right. I mean, yeah. all of that, the decline that we saw was happening before the government instituted shutdown. Yeah. Shutdown policies. And this also goes to the confidence element. Because if people, especially in the hospitality and leisure sector of our economy if people feel confident they're going to go back and spend money and those jobs are going to come back now listen it's a bummer if you lost your job and you're in this sector it is it doesn't matter to you that well this is it's only temporary or it's this or this because you're really hurting but there is hope because a large portion of this is gonna bounce back once people want to get the fuck out of their houses And go out to restaurants, go take a trip, get on a plane. But there has to be that confidence element for that to take place. Right. And when you have millions of people that are out of work now, you you think they're going to be going out and spending money? They don't have the money to spend. Right. So the government has truly failed here and i think this is actually referring back to a voicemail that we heard earlier in the show from john and pennsylvania right uh donald trump's numbers i predict will be negatively affected by the way that he has handled this crisis yeah they i mean certainly from a legacy standpoint in a long-term standpoint but also they spiked at the very beginning and then they fucking tanked again. So people are realizing he's not doing this right. Right. And it's not even the, the economic element of this that they're not handling well. It's also just the general the general handling of the pandemic from a government response standpoint. And messaging standpoint. And there's a lot of there's a lot of actual health experts, doctors, experts in the field who believe it's been a complete surrender. Of how they uh, should have handled this. 
More than half the states in the U.S. have started to partially reopen their economies or plan to do so soon. But even as business and political pressure grows to reopen, there are questions about how to do that with social distancing and a shortage of tests for some who want one. There's an average of about 250,000 tests being taken each day in the U.S. Dr. Ashish Jha is focused on those very questions as the director of the Harvard Global Health Institute. And we're going to talk about that and the federal government's role in responding to the pandemic with him. Dr. Jha, thank you for joining us again on the news hour. So what should ideally happen before a state starts to reopen? Yeah, so thank you for having me on. Um, you know, the president's own guidelines, which are uh, ones that we all largely agree with, um, suggest that states have to dramatically reduce the number of cases and then have adequate testing, tracing, and isolation infrastructure. Uh, both of those are necessary. And some states have reduced their number of cases, uh, but very few states have the kind of testing necessary to really safely reopen. And so when we learn, as we did today, that the White House has uh, rejected a proposal, a very detailed proposal put together by the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, and said, essentially, it's up to the states. What does that say about uh, having the, the right protocol, the right safety precautions in place before uh, people are allowed to move around? Yeah, you know, this is a total abdication of federal leadership. The longstanding deal between states and the federal government has been that states run public health and the federal government provides technical expertise, finances, all of the help that states need. And that's what the CDC was doing in this report. They were helping states figure out how do we open up safely. And the fact that that was quashed by the White House and the, and the White House is saying to all the states, hey, you're on your own, figure it out. It goes against our entire history of federalism and how the federal government has worked with states. But what about um, the argument made by the White House is that these are decisions that should be made by the states because parts of the country have had very few cases relative to other parts of the country. Not every state is like New York. States should be able to, to decide this on their own. I completely agree with that argument. That is correct. Uh, Wyoming and Montana are not like New York. And when I look at the data from those two states, I think they're pretty safe to open up. Um, but the bottom line is that uh, the federal government still needs to be involved in helping those states um, in, you know, open up safely, have enough testing. We just can't leave it up to the states by themselves. They need the help from the federal government. Dr. Jha, the, the program you run, the Institute on Global Health uh, at Harvard, uh, today issued um, new guidelines, new recommendations on the number of tests that should be done. You're saying now more than 900,000 tests a day as a country. This is a big jump from what you were recommending earlier. Why? Yeah, so our recommendations are based on the data as they are today. And when we made our initial calculations almost a month ago, the outbreak um, was not only, uh, you know, smaller, the expectations were that social distancing was going to remain in place for the next six weeks quite aggressively, and we were going to see a big drop in the number of cases. That hasn't happened. Uh, social distancing has not remained in place. States have started opening up. And so now all the projections are that we're going to have many more cases and many more deaths. And if you have a larger outbreak, you need more tests. So we needed to update the analysis 
for the reality that exists today, not the one that existed a month ago. So a million tests. That's what's going to be needed. And some some have said, and it seems like a, uh, a a lot more aggressive projection that five million. I think somewhere in the middle there is a good is a good metric. And 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 listen, Donald Trump has absolutely botched this because remember at the very beginning of this, Donald Trump said, "If you need a test, you can get a test." Mm-hmm. That was just a lie. Yep, it was just a bald faced lie. Yeah, wasn't the truth. It's still. Not necessarily the case. Right. There's the only place that you can get a test if you need a test or want a test is if you work in the White House. (laughs) Really? Even the United States Senate, they've said, no, we don't have enough. But we have to get to that point because it all goes back to confidence. And testing is a, is, is a big part of that, that we're going to need to be able to rapidly test on the spot to be able to know if cases are spiking because of that two-week window that we need to be following. Yeah, and I mean, listen, some states are not going to listen to that. They don't care, right? Uh, yeah, Georgia, Florida. Right, so it, it would I mean, be two nice. Of, two of many. Yeah, it would, be, it would be nice if we could get those states to care. You had Ted Cruz going and getting his hair cut. At that same salon where the woman got arrested. Yeah, for continuing to operate her business. So when you have people in positions of power that are endorsing and supporting bad behavior, it's also doesn't bode well for the future. So that that whole element, this whole this whole protest thing has really been such a mind fuck for me. I mean, they're all morons. So it's it's not that much of a mind fuck, but it is. It's the government's, it's Donald Trump's own administration's recommendations. And then they go out and they protest those recommendations while flying their heroes' flags and shit. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're acting like this guy is your hero, but you're protesting your, it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But when did they ever make any sense, Brittany Page? Yes, I I don't want to jump back to the beginning of the show, but I'm going to. All right. When we talked about pandemic, and this kind of fits with what you just said about the protesters, I find that it's helpful when I'm feeling very angry about certain behaviors and actions that people take is to try to put in perspective, right? So everyone who shared that pandemic video saying that they found it interesting, they're really afraid. And Mm. they don't know how to cope with the uncertainty that exists, right? They don't have someone telling them exactly what's going to happen on an exact timeline because that doesn't exist. Even the experts don't know. There's certainly an uncomfortability with uncertainty. Absolutely. It it doesn't feel good. We want to know. We want the answers. We want someone to tell us the answers. It's why children are afraid of the dark because they're uncertain what's in the room. They can't see it. And this is why pandemic and videos like it are so effective at convincing people because it provides those answers it provides certainty it it fills in the gaps right yeah yeah and that's really good it does the work for you and so that feels good when you're afraid and you don't know the answers even when the answers are not good you know what they are, right. quote unquote. Right. And so if I look at it from that position, right, rather than looking at them as nefarious operators who are trying to spread misinformation. You're talking about the individuals who share the video, not the people who made the video, because the people who made the video are absolutely that. Yeah. yeah. But if I try to just have a slight change in my thinking of these people are afraid, 
right? Yeah. Rather than these people are nefariously spreading misinformation and up to no good. That little switch helps me be a little bit more compassionate and understanding in how I deal with them. And I think the same can be said for, for many different areas um, that, that we struggle to really have conversations with people or convince them otherwise, that a little mental switch in the way that you view the situation can help your own attitude. And now, <laughs> really, now, now more than just about any time, we can use more compassion for sure even when you're dealing with dumbasses <laughs> you know what i mean was that your was that your compassionate take yeah i'm being super compassionate yeah it could have been worse no it could have been worse i think it could always be worse <laughs> <laughs> all right well we're gonna wrap it up there we love you guys we appreciate you we'd love to hear from you we want to be a venue for you to amplify your voice we want this to be a venue that amplifies your voice to say it in a more Com- normal way. Oh, <laughs> I'm done. I'm, I'm fucking done. Wow. Okay. Anyway, we'd love to hear from you. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We will see you next time. And until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It.